It's Monday, February 10th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Fool.com, Taylor Markerman, and from Motley Fool Supernova, Matt Argusinger. Happy Monday, gents. Hey, and you too. Glad to be here. We survived the two-day member event, Matty. How you feeling? Survive is a good word. <laughs> no, it was, it was a ton of fun. It was a ton, ton of, fun. of fun. We'll talk a little bit about that later in the podcast, but we've got Tesla Motors, we've got Activision Blizzard. Let's start with Hasbro, though. Fourth quarter profit down. Let me see if I have this right, Taylor. The boys' product sales down 16%. And that's, by the way, how the toy companies categorize themselves. This isn't me. Just for anyone who's <laughs> new to listening, think, well, why do you call them boy? No, no, no. The toy companies do that. That's how, they, that's how it rolls. does yeah. that, and they're like, we have the boy category, we have the girl girl category, up 19%. So boy products, you're talking Transformers, G.I. Joe. I'm going to quote directly from a story I saw on Market Watch with regards to the girls category being up 19%, and it said, quote, aided by growth in the Furby and My Little Pony toy brands. Now, look. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the oh, Furby yeah. caught me off guard that's, for sure. Uh, that's what I was going to say. The My Little Pony <laughs> stuff not does not surprise coming. me at all. Yeah. But Furbies? I thought we killed those things a long time ago. They've certainly been killed off in my mind for some time now. Um, <laughs> I don't even know what a what is a Furby. Yeah, I would have to pull up a Google image. Oh I'm gosh. not too sure either. You it, could put them in front Furby of me. Was a Pokemon w- or a Furby, I couldn't pick we'll them get to, We'll get back to Hasbro in a okay. second and their actual results. Because um, <laughs> the stock is up, despite yeah, yeah, the yeah. fact that the quarterly profit was a Furby was a totally hot toy i want to say in 99 2000 okay. something like that it was one of those like bean ba- baby circa type babies thing. cabbage patch dolls one of ah. those in the moment you have to have these oh, people trampling over one another to get a furby but it really seemed like it was just a famous for 15 minutes and then it was gone but apparently not because yeah, they're still that's, on the second stage yeah that's yeah. that's why hasbro's but why is the stock up if the quarter was as bad as it seemed to be, keeping in mind this is the holiday quarter. Yeah, well, yeah, fair enough. Uh, It it seems like management just told investors everything they wanted to hear. Uh, They threw the sink at them. They talked about raising the dividend, uh, initiating cost savings that could be up to $100 million per year by 2015. Uh, They're looking for double-digit revenue growth out of emerging markets, which we've all heard about the struggles there. So to see them talk about strength in the emerging markets was kind of shocking. And they're going to accelerate the share purchase this year in 2014. So all four of those things really drove investors to to the buying side of the argument. Um, Whether or not performance had anything to do with it, uh, I don't think it did because, yeah, you're right, boys' sales were down. And I think Activision and, and the, their peers probably had a lot to do with that, with sales kind of geared with the, the games that were released in the fourth quarter, really geared more towards boys than girls um, as a whole. So that I, I'm thinking that had a little bit to do with why boys' sales might be down. And it seems like I, I could see the international line of thinking being pushed by management. I could see that being a good way to go because if I have this right – I think sales in the U.S. and Canada, I think North American sales were down, right, yep. but elsewhere they did pretty well. I guess they, they haven't seen the Furby yet, so it's new to them. Oh, I know. Wait, wait till that hits. <laughs> How are you going to keep them markets? down on the farm after they've seen the Furby? <laughs> no, I think Taylor makes a great point. I mean, if I look at the boys' sales, I mean, we had, you know, finally PlayStation, Xbox, the new consoles finally came out. That That's going to have an impact on, on boys' sales. And remember, Hasbro really depends um, a lot. Its toy division, its male boys' toy division really depends on... Uh, 
movies and films. And there wasn't, I mean, we had our, our, our batch of super, superhero films this year, but certainly not compared to earlier years. So that's that was probably weighing a little bit. I the think sales. there's another Transformers movie coming out this calendar year. Yeah. I mean, that's one of my worries, though, is they're not introducing new superheroes. They're just kind of doing sequels to the pre-existing ones. So um, I don't know mm. if that's going to boost sales in, in Iron Man or Transformers if they've already seen a movie from it two years ago. Because um, it's kind of hard to release a new line of Iron Man toys. It's it's still Iron Man. I think the, mo- the first movie kind of drives that interest in it. But that's what we've seen from the movie studios themselves, yeah. right? That if you look at a website like Box Office Mojo, which I love to just click through from time to time, where, to where it can just break down all the numbers. You look over the last few years and the big drivers, the big winners in Hollywood are the sequels. It's, it's almost entirely about the sequels. It's rare that you have the breakout original movie that comes uh, so i guess it stands to reason that the toy companies would fall in line with that yeah i, I guess you would think so but just wait, well, it's not working well and just wait till the new furby movie comes out <laughs> you know, that that's gonna be huge you know what if you just gave some listener an idea and they start penning a script and that happens i'm gonna put the blame squarely on your shoulders <laughs> you can follow us on twitter at market foolery is our handle got a message over the uh, weekend from rohit mahajan i I'm absolutely mispronouncing your name, so I apologize for that. Who writes, Activision Blizzard pops 15% and no coverage on the Motley Fool Money radio show? Where's the love? Sorry about that. We Honestly, there are some weeks, and last week was one of them, where we only have so much time on the radio show and we have to limit the number of stories we do. And that was one of the ones that got put on the cutting room floor. But that's why there's market foolery. And they really did, Maddie. They really had a great quarter. They did. Well, you know, if you look at the overall growth, I mean, revenue was only up 3%. I, and by I mean, they, they had a great quarter. I mean, the stock reacted well. Yeah, yeah. Fourth stock. quarter profit down 51%. They had guided, <laughs> yeah. They had guided to a pretty, uh, you know, a slow year in terms of growth. But they, they, they beat the estimates. Um, and I really think it's all about what's coming down the pipe for Activision. They've got some really exciting stuff. I mean, let's... But let's talk about the year first. I mean, you know, they still have the number one console game, which is Call of Duty. They still have the number one PC game uh, out there, which, which this past year was StarCraft. Um, they've got some really good stuff coming down the pipe. They've got the uh, a new Diablo update coming, a new World of Warcraft update. But in the fall, they've got their Destiny game coming out, which is the new, um, from Bungie, the, the Halo franchise guys. Um, and this, it looks very promising. I don't know if you've seen the trailer, but this is sort of, you know, we we got our Call of Duty franchise. We've got World of Warcraft. We got, but this is our next big thing, and the excitement around this is pretty big. Bobby Kotek was out there saying that this is probably this is at least a five hundred million dollar, uh, you know, a game right out of the gate. Which you know he he usually backs that up when he says that. So um, that's that's definitely exciting for them. I was just going to ask. That's an enormous number, and I would not be shocked at all if we were talking about the next iteration of Call of Duty. But to say that a brand new game is going to do half a billion right out of the gate, right? Does he really have that kind of track record? I, he well, so Activision's gotten really good over the years of really testing their games. You know, um, they, they've got they do a lot of beta testing, but they have a sense of what the market's ready for. Um, and you know, there's just a lot of momentum. There's a lot of Halo players out there that have waited for the Bungie group to come out with something new for Activision. This is a game that's probably I think in at least four years now in the making. So there's a lot of excitement, pent up demand. Yeah, and then if you looked at the hardware sales, like we mentioned with the new consoles, that's just going to keep flowing through to these games, uh, these game makers, point. with twenty eight percent increase in sales this past December. So, uh, a lot of new players out there that can snap up these games. Right, shares of Activision Blizzard down a little bit today, but again, really popping late last week. 
Is this a stock that you think is fairly valued, still a little bit cheap? If you're looking at this, and, and I'm, I'm not a gamer and I don't own shares of this company, but when I hear about that kind of specific guidance – Mm-hmm. Then I start to get a little interested. Yeah, this is this is unless I mean, you're about to tell me that the stock is richly valued. No, no, I don't think so at all. I think video game, the, all the video game companies have been just really left for dead by the market uh, in recent years. And I think finally, with the you know as Taylor's been saying, with the, with the console cycle finally picking up, that's going to flow through. Software sales are finally, I think, are in the game space are going to turn around. If you want to bet on video games, and it's not been a great place to bet over the last few years, but in previous years it has been. I think Activision's definitely one to look at. I mentioned at the top we had our two-day member event last Thursday and Friday. It was the largest member event we'd ever had here at The Motley Fool. I think we topped out somewhere north of 450 members from Fool One, Supernova, Motley Fool Pro, million-dollar portfolio. They were all here. It, it, (laughs) It was really great. And we had people coming not just from across the country but from literally around the world. I was chatting Friday at the reception with a gentleman who had come in from Melbourne, Australia. Oh, wow. Um, it, it's really amazing to see. Um, I'm curious, though, Maddie, if, if there were – you were there both days. If there, were, if there were any sort of takeaways you had from – whether it's from the programming we had. By the way, we, in terms of the programming, mm. Malcolm Gladwell, oh, yeah. Tom Gardner, our CEO, conducted a, just a fantastic one-hour Q&A with Malcolm Gladwell, the great writer – we had Pete Miller from National Oil Well Varco. I said at the time that that's one of those stocks I've had on my watch list for a couple of years. And I, not that it has set the world on fire right. in terms of the performance of the stock, but I've looked down like, boy, I really should own it. And now that I've seen Pete Miller speak, I feel even dumber for not buying it. It's pretty <laughs> compelling. And when they asked who's an investor, I think at least half the room raised their hands. Yeah. Yeah. Just just fantastic. Uh, Eddie Elfenbein, mm-hmm. who, if you're not following him on Twitter, he's a great guy to follow. Uh, but what stood out to you? Well, I just think the what stood out, I mean, so I was, I was obviously on the supernova track the whole time. Um, but we had, you know, going into this, I thought, man, this is going to be a logistical nightmare because we had these three different sort of breakout sessions, supernova, million dollar portfolio, and pro, um, and, you know, 450 odd members, you know, choosing or going to one and not going to the other. And everyone said, hey, we absolutely loved your breakout session, but gosh, I can't wait to see what else, what, what the other teams presented. So uh, everyone was just really excited about what was, what was out there. Um, and I think that was, to me, you know, the fact that we're probably going to hopefully have the videos up from all the presentations so that MF1 members and hopefully other members can, can view them. Everyone wanted to see what every, everyone was presenting, and so did I. So. Yeah, this was the first time we we've done member events before, but not only was this the largest one we've done, this is the first time we've done those type of breakout sessions. Right. And as you said, it was a logistical nightmare. So I got to give a quick shout out to four of our colleagues who are not on the analyst side at all, but they are the people who helped to make the logistical nightmare work for everyone. <laughs> make it uh, not a nightmare. Uh, Sam Sicatello, Melissa Malinowski, Kate Herman, and Anthony Lehman. Bravo. Um, just a, a fantastic job. And people who epitomize grace under pressure because it was absolutely one of those situations where stuff happens. You can plan an event all you – and I suppose as anyone who has ever planned an event, whether it's a big party or a wedding or anything like that, yeah, stuff happens, stuff goes wrong, and they just made sure it all works yeah, seamlessly. Didn't, from, from my perspective, I didn't notice a thing, yes. you know, and I, I was there the whole time. But if stuff was happening, I certainly didn't notice it. One of the stocks that got the most attention from members, not surprisingly, was Tesla Motors. 
They are expected to report earnings next week, but shares are hitting an all-time high today. It seems like one of those stock moves that is happening for no reason whatsoever. (laughs) There's no news out there, really, as it relates to Tesla. And I'm wondering if it's just people getting excited about earnings next week. What are you looking for for earnings next week? Because this is one you watch. Right. I I think – well, what I'm worried about – and is that I think I think investors are are, are thinking they're going to blow the, blow away the number of car sales, and by blow away I mean they're going to probably sell you know report that they sold three or four hundred more cars than they were originally guiding for, um, which on the surface doesn't sound like a huge number, but it, for where they are on a quarterly basis, it is a big big number. Uh, but yeah, it's been interesting to watch because the, you know the, the stock had come down, uh, you know it had been at these near these highs. As of about five or six months ago, it's come. It came all the way down to I believe around one thirty, and slowly over the past few months, it's really crept up. And now, you know, on what today, what is a pretty lackluster day for the market? It's up yeah. three or four percent, hitting an all time high. Twenty five billion dollar market cap now. Um, you know that it has me a little nervous because I think there's just so much future priced in, um, and that's fine. Uh, but at, at this kind of level, I'm saying, gosh, you know, now, now next week they really got to crush it. I mean, they really got to come out. They got to say, all right, in China we're going to sell 2,000 cars in in a few quarters, which uh, is not, you know, probably not possible. But if that happened, I mean, that's that's what that's the type of news you need to hear now. So, speaking of China, over the weekend they announced that they are going to reduce subsidy cuts that they had planned on for electric vehicles. So I think that might have a little bit to do with it because in an interview I saw with Elon Musk, they gave at Stanford a while back. He talked about going into China and Asia carefully for IP protection, um, obviously, but it's going to be a big market for them. And to see China kind of pull back, they were going to cut the subsidies by about 10%. They're only going to do that by now 5% for the, out to 2015. So they're really trying to clean up that environment. And apparently electric vehicles are going to be a big part of that. So uh, that could be, I don't know if that's why they're up. Obviously, you know, earnings are a big mm-hmm. player here, but that could be at least a, a hint of, of, of why they're popping a little bit. Great. Yeah. And I, we did see, I think it was a couple of weeks ago that uh, Elon Musk said at least that they're not going to do what so many other car makers and luxury brands do, which is charge exorbitant prices right, in yeah. China. They're going to try to have a level price tag for the Model S in China, which, uh, you know, that, that, I think that's I think that's compelling for obviously a lot of well wealthy Chinese who are going to right. be purchasing Model S. Speaking the of the prices, they're already a collector's item apparently because I saw uh, also this weekend that um, the average used Tesla is going for just under a hundred thousand dollars, where the top line brand new in two thousand thirteen was only about ninety thousand. So oh, the scarcity effect is already taking place. Wow! You mentioned the market cap of Tesla, and that's. I don't want to get too focused on one number, mm. but that's the number that I look at with Tesla and find it hard for me personally to wrap my head around because them going from a few thousand sales mm-hmm. per quarter to a few thousand more sales per quarter, that's easy for me to imagine. But them going from $24 billion to $50 billion in market <laughs> cap, that's where I really stumble. And maybe it's all psychological, but does that does that market cap just seem out of whack to you? It's high. It's high. You know, and if you obviously if you compare it to the other uh, automakers out there, they you know they're 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 on track to be as big as all of them. Um, what I think you have if you if you think that car sales the Model S Model X eventually are going to you know just go gangbusters. In other words, if Tesla can reach something on the order of a hundred thousand unit sales per year in a few years. It doesn't look at, as outlandish, particularly given the gross margins that they're getting on their vehicles. It's got to get there, though. And, and of course, now, with market cap, the word is, any bumps in the road there on the sales, ew, 
watch out. MBMW is coming out with a couple cars this year to compete. So uh, obviously, it's a huge market. So one entrant isn't isn't something for Tesla to worry about. But um, just depends on how well they catch on us uh, at the time. Well, we'll definitely watch next week when they report earnings. At the moment, I think it's looking like the nineteenth of February is when they have that schedule for. But okay. we'll see. Uh, just to wrap up, yesterday Sunday, I was in downtown Washington D.C. with my family. Had a fabulous lunch at the old Ebbett Grill, oh, yeah. which I haven't been to in a very long time. And holy cow, is the food good there. Very good. And then thought, let's stretch our legs a little bit. And it's right near the White House. So we walked over to the White House. And right next to the White House is, of course, the U.S. Treasury Department. Mm-hmm. And in front of it is a statue. And one of my kids says, oh, it's George Washington, which – in my kid's defense, a lot of these statues kind of look like George Washington. I don't know if the sculptors were just sort of hedging a little bit, but upon closer examination, I thought, well, it's probably Alexander Hamilton who created the Secretary uh, the Treasury Department sure. or gets credit for it. <clears throat> it's a guy named Albert Gal- Galatin or Gallatin. Ever heard of this guy? Oh, Name sounds familiar, but I couldn't no. tell you a single fact <laughs> okay. about him. Turns out he is the longest-serving Secretary of the Treasury. He was Secretary of the Treasury under, um, I believe, Adams and Jefferson, so 12 years. But this is what appears on his statue, it, the following words. Uh, his name, Albert Gallatin, Secretary of the Treasury, genius of finance, <laughs> senator and representative, commissioner for the Treaty of Ghent, Minister to France and Great Britain and steadfast champion of democracy, uh, born 1761, died 1849. Now, look. One could only hope that your tombstone <laughs> said something like that. Man. Not just steadfast, steadfast champion of democracy, which is great in and of itself. Genius of finance? That's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. That's just uh, – and look, who I'm not going to take that away from him. I never heard of the guy, but I'm not taking this away from him. So <laughs> – I thought I'd just hit you guys up with, uh, as, I, as I tipped you off earlier in the day, one person you would consider finance genius, doesn't have to be living, certainly uh, Albert Gallatin. And who knows, back in the early 1800s, this guy probably was. I mean, he was doing something, right? He was Secretary of the Treasury for 12 yeah. years. And they weren't particularly easy years because America was a very young democracy. It might have taken somewhat of a, you know, a, a genius mind to pull everything together back then the way it did. But yeah. it, you know, I, I'm embarrassed not to really... No one, even the slightest about him. Yeah, none whatsoever. Uh, Taylor, one person that you would just give, you'll, you'll give them the credit as finance a genius. I'll give it to Peter Lynch because he was able to beat the market for all those years in such a dynamic way. But then in his books, he's able to relate it to the common investor uh, in a way. You know, he always talks about being able to draw your investments with a crayon. He was able to draw finance for a lot of investors in his books that were just hugely relatable. And I, that was the first one of the first books I ever read was one up on Wall Street. And uh, I still have it on my bookshelf. I would be remiss if I did not mention that uh, the only thing Peter Lynch and I have in common is we are both graduates of Boston College. There it is. And uh, tonight, BC plays Northeastern in the Beanpot Championship. So <laughs> no go, kidding. Go Eagles. It's a big game. Go Eagles. Um, Maddie, what do you got? I Yeah, Taylor's choice is great. I, I'm going to go with someone that a lot of investors probably haven't heard of, but they should have, is Henry Singleton, who is the longtime CEO of a company called Teledyne, which... Uh, you know, this is going back to the 60s and 70s. Um, but if you ever if you ever read any of Warren Buffett's old essays or, or annual letters, he always singles out Henry Singleton as someone he admires and someone who he thinks st- stood on you know stood above everyone else in terms of not only not only finance but also business. Uh, anyway, 
this guy deserves to be studied. He, he ran such a successful business. And really, his genius at the time was in corporate finance. He was kind of the first CEO to really allocate capital in a way that was beneficial to shareholders. In other words, buying back a lot of stock when Teledyne was cheap or issuing stock to buy other companies when Teledyne was expensive. These, these were things that seem commonplace today almost, but really, when he was doing it, this, is, this was kind of unheard of. So anyway, Henry Singleton, my genius of finance. Two quick things before we wrap up and get out of here. Uh, one other person to thank for the amazing work she did on the member event, Meredith Bissett. Um, again, the people who work behind the scenes on these things just have superhuman abilities far and beyond anything I have. So uh, so thank you to Meredith and, and all the others who worked on this. The other thing I, I need to mention is that this Wednesday, Motley Fool Funds is having their semi-annual conference call. If you're interested, you don't have to be a shareholder of any of the funds to participate, to listen, get the guys' thoughts on what they're thinking as, uh, as we're still in just the early stages of 2014. Uh, more information available at foolfunds.com. That's foolfunds.com. Check it out if you're interested. Taylor Muckerman, Matt Argusinger. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.